Father, uh, Father in heaven, you are um, amazing. Your love is amazing. And we want to spend the next hour or so in your presence and praising you. Father, please be with us here. Please help us to know your presence here. And uh, please open our hearts to your word and to your spirit and to your presence this morning. Thank you for for being our Father, even though you're the Almighty, the creator of the universe. You want each one of us as your child, and it blows our minds. But we thank you. Thank you for your love and your grace and, and for your fatherhood. Um, and help us help us to feel that this morning. We pray that our worship will will rise to you um, like an incense with a with a pleasant smell, and that you will smile on us. And I pray that you will strengthen us, and that we'll go away from this place this morning enriched and encouraged, and ready to serve you for another week. Lord Jesus, thank you for for your love for us and. Uh, thank you for being here with us as well. Amen. Turn, if you'd like to, to Malachi chapter 1. Better look finding it than I did the first time I looked for it. And Derek is going to come and lead that for us. Malachi chapter 1. This is not an easy chapter to read. As you will see. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, 
implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will they accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying on the Lord's table, it is defiled of it and of its food. It is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the chief who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, will then sacrifice a blemish animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. As I said, not not easy, and I'm hoping Mark's going to get us some encouragement out of that in a little bit. Before Mark does come up, let's worship the Lord God Almighty um, again. Let's give him the praise and, the, in its correct sense, the fear and the worship that, that he deserves. Holy, holy Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Father, I pray that you will bless Mark as he speaks to us, speak through him, help us to hear your words through him, um, and open our, open our ears, open our hearts to what you have to say to us. Amen. Just remain anonymous, the people involved, you'll, you'll understand why. One Sunday morning, a man was really struggling to get up out of bed. His wife came in. Come on, you've got to get up. It's time to go to church. He turned over, he lay over in bed, put the covers over his head grumpily. I'm not going today. It's between Christmas and New Year. I'm tired. I've got a week of work. I just, I just want to have a rest. Just, just leave me alone. But she persisted. You... You've got to go. That's what she said. Well, why? Give me three good reasons. And Elaine said, because it's Sunday. I'm your wife and you're talking this morning. (laughs) I thought we'd look at Malachi today. And I I wonder if the prophet Malachi wanted to stay snuggled under his sheets that morning instead of preaching that word that God had given him to his people. So let's let's have a look at, at Malachi. So I'll give you a minute or two to find it again. <laughs> Go to Matthew and then turn left. On his <laughs> I, I struggle to remember the last time I'd thought about the book of Malachi. I might have read it. I, I struggle to think the last time I sat down and I thought, oh, what's Malachi about? 
so when uh, Neil, a few weeks ago, as Neil in his, in his very organized way does, said, what are you going to talk about, Mark, in a few weeks? Oh, I've got a few ideas. And then a few minutes later, when I looked at the readings for today, I said, I'm going to look at Malachi. So I, I didn't know the look of Neil's face when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he's going to have to build a service around. We'll look at Malachi. So Malachi starts with the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Well, an oracle, what's oracle? That's, that's a burden. As Derek said, it was going to be hard. This was a burden that Malachi that was going to be difficult to bear, difficult for them to hear. It has this idea of being something that's heavy. This isn't a trifling little thing. The prophet recognises that what he's going to communicate to the people isn't fluffy stuff that's going to tickle their ears. This is, this is really going to trouble their souls. So let, let's just think what, where Malachi is, what is happening in the Bible at this time. The Jews have been off into captivity and, and they've come back now, back in the land. They're in sort of modern-day Iraq. Uh, they've been living in modern-day Iraq for 70 years and come back to the land. They've rebuilt the temple. Worship's happening. That's all being re-established, but, but things are not easy. Outwardly, it probably things seem okay. But inside, there's this cancer of complacency that's eating away at, at what they're doing their commitment. And as God's final spokesman at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi comes to shake them up, to give them this challenge, to give God our best. And as I come to the end of the year, quite often that's the process I go through in my mind, is kind of saying, right, how, how do I get better at this faith? How do I get better at this life living for Jesus. What, what I've got to do is shake myself up to, to get better. And that, that's why I thought we'd, we'd look at Malachi. So as we're listening to this dialogue between God and his people in verse 2, we, we learn the things that God wants us to know. The most important thing is that he loves us. He loves us. And this word love, this is a real tender, affectionate, unconditional love. And maybe just as people two and a half thousand years ago wondered if God really loved them, we too perhaps can often ask the same question. Malachi starts with love and then talks to them about their lives. Actually, because they didn't respond to his love, the things that he, he'd given to them, the, the, the love he'd shown them, because they didn't respond to that, things really started going wrong for them. Their, their worship became wimpy, their leaders were lightweights, their relationships ruptured, their offerings were, were anemic, they'd stopped serving God. Their zeal had fizzled out, their faith had become this empty formalism. Spirituality was sloppy, their religion was, was ritualistic, it was hollow, they were lethargic, lax, lenient, they excuse their exploits while accusing God of some pretty heavy stuff. And Malachi teaches us what can happen if we find ourselves sliding spiritually. It's easy to become apathetic towards the Almighty God and to begin to justify our own behaviour. 
God's people stopped going to the temple to worship. And those who did gave God the leftovers of their lives and their love. Their lips formed all the right prayers, but their hearts were hard. They blamed God for everything and themselves for nothing. So Malachi's mandate was to call his people back to this wonderful, vibrant relationship with the almighty God that God wanted. Their problem, perhaps like ours can be sometimes, it wasn't ignorance, but it was kind of an indifference to that. And this book lets us in on that dialogue between God and his people. So we start with a, with, with a how. God says to him in verse 2, I've loved you, says the Lord. And, and, and I don't know, maybe this is some sort of sophisticated sarcasm going on here in the answer. How have you loved us? Is the, is the kind of the reply. And God's response was, not Esau, Jacob's brother, yet have I loved Jacob. And this is how it begins. Instead of lambasting his people and, and laying it down straight away, God says, I have loved you. He doesn't say, you're guilty of this and that and the other. God's starting point is, I have loved you. And, and the word love is in this perfect tense, indicating that God not only loved them in the past, but he loves them in the present as well. He could say it this way, I have loved you and I do love you. And this word that's used here is not the most common word of love in the Old Testament. It's sort of a covenant love. But but this isn't that word. It's a relational love. It's, I have embraced you. I have expressed my affection towards you. It's a real sort of human love in that sense, that, that kind of relational love that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. God is courting us. He's pursuing us with his love. And, and perhaps sometimes we can get Forget that the Old Testament is full of God's love. We think love is a New Testament concept, but the Old Testament is full of wonderful declarations of God's love to us. So in light of God's love and what he said, it, it seems audacious, doesn't it, to ask this question, how have you loved us? They wondered, well, you love us, why, why are we struggling so much then? You know, when we were back in captivity, Ezekiel said, the land would abound with miraculous fruitfulness. I said we're dealing with droughts. Isaiah prophesied and said, you said through Isaiah, that the population would be, would be a mighty throng and all nations would come and serve. But we're still really small and we're still under the power of Persia. What the people hadn't realised, I think, was that, as the prophet Haggai had pointed out, it was their disobedience that was keeping them from receiving the blessings that God's love had promised them. So whilst the people thought they were just complaining to Malachi, they were actually demonstrating their utter disbelief in God. They thought they could get away with it. 
I, I read as I was thinking about these words of a, a little funny story. It was about um, somebody just gone away to uni, gone to church by their university for the first time, and, and they, they sort of knew the people there, and they, they'd gone in, and, and it was announced who was giving the exhortation that morning. And, and the guy had gone to uni, sort of groaned, oh. And, and the, the lady who sat next to him said, well, what's wrong? Said, oh, that brother that's exhorting, I've heard him before. He's the dullest man alive. This is going to be a really dull morning. And, and the sister looked at him and said, do, do you know who I am? No, I, that's my husband. <laughs> so, do you know who I am? No. Oh, well, good, and <laughs> left. <laughs> and we forget sometimes that when we complain about things in the house of God, we're complaining to God. We're complaining about God's family. And that's what was happening here. And this is what God was, was upset about, the, the, the things that, that were going wrong. What was happening back in Malachi's time then? So we say, you've got this man, he's got 50 lambs in his flock. He's got a nice flock, he's a nice middle class man, 50 lambs in his flock. 35 are good, that's your statistic. 35 are good, 10 were excellent, real top stock. These are going to be the breeding future of my flock. Five are blemished somehow. He knows these five. He's, he's not really going to get much for these at the market. So what does he do? He uses these five blemished animals as he's offering to God. What does it matter? They're lame. They've got open sores. They're going to die anyway. We'll use those as an offering. He's like killing two birds with one stone, isn't it? I get rid of my blemished animals, and I still look good, and do my offering, and, and I've, I've ticked all the boxes. But there's only one problem, isn't there? As Malachi has pointed out, God knows exactly what this man is doing. He's keeping the best for himself and giving the junk, the leftovers, to God. And notice what God says in verse 9. Try offering these to your governor. Is he going to be pleased with you? Would he accept you? God is saying, you, you, you wouldn't treat somebody you know, that you knew that was the governor of your little village like this. Why are you treating me like this? What's behind that mindset? Is God absent to them? Maybe they thought God didn't care. Well, they'd be glad to get anything at all, won't he? These were you know, the middle-class people. They'd come, they'd rebuilt the land with their, their own hands. They'd face higher taxes. They'd got bills to pay. They didn't have a lot of money left over. So they cut corners where they could. And, you know, we'll still do the bits we need to do for God, but we'll, we'll cut the corners where we can. It was a kind of flippant attitude towards God. And, and God is saying the way we worship makes a difference. And we think about worship. Worship is what we've done this morning. But worship's more than that. It's, it's, a, it's a life. It's a day-to-day -day reverence for God. So like, our lives are an act of worship. How are we reverencing God? How do we show God is holy in all the different things that we're doing 
each day. So what, how we live that matters. We can't say inwardly or, 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 or sing the song, I worship God with all my heart, and yet be sloppy and indifferent in the way that we, we live our lives, because the outward show of that reveals what we really feel inwardly. And, and I'm not saying there's any merit involved in you know, the, the outward show of, of our lives or worship, because it, it's those things reveal what's, what's inside. Malachi makes this further point, though, that the people guilty of deliberately sinning, bringing blemished animals, wasn't an oversight, wasn't a slip-up, it wasn't it was dark or brought the wrong one. It was a, it was a deliberate act to do that. Um, verse 13, where you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what's been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept it? Cursed be the cheat who is made as a male in his flock, and he vows it, he promises he's going to do it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. They were saying one thing, doing another. Deliberately, Cheating to God. The priests despised their work and the people brought cheap offerings because they wanted a cut rate, a cheap religion. So no wonder the Lord is angry. You promised, you all promised to give me your best. But you're giving me your worst. You promised to serve me forever. But now you're going back on your word. You sang, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. But now you've changed your mind. You've promised to serve Jesus in your life, in your church. But when the call comes in for people to do this, that or the other, we, we sit on our hands. You promised at home that things will be better, things will be different. You promised at work that you would reverence God in the way that you made the decisions, that you would have a, a, a moral compass about these things. You promised family that we would put Jesus at the centre of, of how we lived our lives, that this would be our family worship together, the way we reverence God. But it's not, and he isn't. In Malachi's day, the people got bored with worship. They bought cheap animals, blemished sacrifices, lambs covered with runny sores, blind lambs that they couldn't sell. Nobody would accept off them. God calls them cheats and swindlers. And it's hard, isn't it? I sit there and I look at me and I, and I think about what this time of year I try and reset how when we lay and I'll discuss what we're going to do as a family and how we're going to try and get the law back at the centre of what it is that we're about as a family and, and give our best in the way that we live and serve and, and love and think 
and as we kind of do our 2019 review, what, what is God going to be saying about me? What would he be saying about you? Well, what are the things that we, we know we're not doing right? We know where we're kind of missing the mark, but don't want to change it. I think these ancient words that we've got here speak to a very modern temptation that, that, that is with us today. Um, and I wonder whether we're, whether we're three things, and I've thought about these a bit as a sort of how we worship, how we come together as a church, how we meet together as a church, but I think we can broadly think about things as a how we live outside this. But Personally, what, what I think, I, sometimes things go wrong for me with inadequate preparation. What happens before the service even begins? Before you've gone out to do any, any, any sort of thing. I was chatting with one of my Jewish friends. He said, do, you know, do you know why the Jewish Sabbath begins on a Friday evening? I didn't know why the Jewish Sabbath. Why does the Sabbath begin on a Friday evening? So you can prepare for the Sabbath on the Saturday. So Friday night is your preparation time for the Sabbath on the Saturday. So I wonder, how many of us took time last night to think about what we were going to do today and spend some time in prayer or thought to think about what we're going to come together and do today? And I sort of contrasted that thought with how much time did we spend thinking about preparing for Christmas? So we've kind of got this the celebration, a man-made feast around, you know, celebrating the birth of Jesus, and we put hours and hours and hours, where Lane in our house puts hours and hours and hours of thought and preparation time into this, and I, and I enjoy being given the things to help to do with that. But today we've come to meet Jesus, actually meet him. How then do we feel about coming to church on a Sunday morning? Uh, and and I had in mind to talk about this, and then um, I think it was Margaret behind me said, wow, look at that at the end of Malachi. I am a great king. You know, we've, we've come to meet this great king of the whole universe, says the Lord Almighty, my name is to be feared, to be respected, to be reverenced. And I think we, you know, it's not just about church, but whatever we do in terms of our giving and our worship, our reverence, how we treat God, how, how are we preparing our minds and our hearts for the things that we're doing on a, a day-to-day basis to reflect that he is a great king, the king of the universe. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was, was half-hearted participation. What do we do when we when we get here? We sing, we pray, we sit in silence, we read the Bible, we listen, hopefully, to the talk, we share bread and wine, we leave. We sort of know what's going to happen, don't we, on a, on a Sunday morning. There's a temptation to, to kind of go through the motions some weeks, to play our role, to look religious. All the time, maybe, we're watching the clock fidgeting. There's big weights and problems in our own minds. 
we wonder how we're going to handle the coming week, we've got to go back to work, all the problems that maybe we've escaped for a few days are disappearing. There's nothing more boring, is there, than trying to worship God when your heart's not really in it. I know I, I, know I sat through a Sunday morning many times when I'm here in body, but I'm not really here. I'm not really participating in what's what's happening, not with my heart. I haven't prepared myself for, for this on Saturday night. I haven't got myself in a place. The, the, the people that are stood up here, Neil and I, aren't, aren't really here to entertain you. And something else that struck me while I was, I was preparing my thoughts is that I'm not talking to you. You're not my audience, really. You know, the, the Lord is sat here, our Heavenly Father here. That, that's our audience. That's, that's our worship. That's, that's who we're, we're meeting with. And I sat and I, and I pondered. I just had a mind's eye at Bethel this morning as I was here and what I was doing. And what I felt like when I was at other places. And I thought, I wonder if that's why some churches do have an icon of the Lord Jesus at the front. Because physically you're reminded he's there. If somebody dressed up as Jesus and sat there, and you all thought he was Jesus, sat there, how different would you feel this morning? Sat there, and Jesus is sat there this morning listening. And he knows what's going on in your hearts. He knows what's going on in your minds. How different would coming to church be if Jesus was physically sat there every morning? And it struck me, I think I'd feel radically different about coming to church on a Sunday morning. If Jesus was sat beside me at work, going through the thoughts and the processes and what I was talking about and how I was talking about things. If Jesus was with me in the car or at school or at college, how I worshipped him, how I had that reverent attitude towards them and how I lived that life, I think would be radically different if physically they were there next to me. And so I, I, I thought, how, how can we get us to think about the Lord being here and with us today? And so I said to Neil, well, just, if you're doing your slides, put up before the start, Lord, speak to me today. And I wondered if that, that was something that well, maybe it would work for me, that no matter how I felt when I walked through it all, if, if I put up the front of my Bible as I opened it, Lord, speak to me today, and that Whatever happened then at church, I came to, to meet and converse with God and with the Lord Jesus that we, we met together. I think that's a prayer that God would delight to answer. So as we come to a close, I was thinking about um, responding to God's love. And I thought we'd go to Psalm 13. Because 
sometimes we might be like the people in Malachi's time that actually life isn't quite like the bed of roses we thought God had promised us it was going to be. Things aren't right. We have we are struggling with things. There are issues, and, and we've got this. You say you love me, but this is what I've got to deal with. This is my pain. This is these are the problems I've got. Maybe we aren't sure if God really loves us. And so, I thought Psalm thirteen is is a is a lovely way of seeing David's transition. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And maybe that's where we are right now as we look into a new year. Maybe we've got questions and complaints. And David shows us we don't have to stay there. We can take a step forward in love. And that's what David does by the end of the psalm. But no matter what all these problems are, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he dealt bountifully with me. Whether our enemy is a spiritual thing, whether it's depression, ill health, pain, cancers, anxieties, whatever these problems are that we face that are in essence our everyday adversary, we can come before the throne of our Lord. We can meet with him now and speak with him and say, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. And as we share together the emblems of, of God's love, we, we prove to each other that this is so.